Shut up and sit down. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Saturday night at the Atlas Theater. It's time for the CSUCL After Party. Our guest this evening is theater producer, actor, and author, Bo Pritchard. Joining us on the, joining us on the panel is comedian Derek Sheen. One of our lovely, he raised his hand, everybody. On a podcast, I just raised my hand. What a dolt. And also on the panel, we've got Emily Allen. Often our lovely bartender. Tonight, our lovely panelist. And of course, my co-host is Jakeeva Phillips. Yeah. Yeah. You, I know you do. Somebody just said they loved me and I knew it because, uh, they told Who me wouldn't? so. Who wouldn't? <laughs> All right, so we're just going to jump in tonight to, because we have both uh, Bo Pritchard and also Derek Sheen, so I feel like this is just going to be too much fun for one podcast. Um, so, uh, Bo, um, talk to us about what's going on. I mean, you do so many things. You're a man of many things. Uh, well, I come out of doing fringe theater, which has various definitions, but mostly it comes down to relatively cheap. Uh, which means you wind up doing a lot of everything yourself. So I am used to being relatively self-contained, which is one of the reasons why you can say I do as many things as I do. Typically, as a producer in small-scale theater, it just means you do 90% of everything by yourself or with maybe one other person, if you're fortunate. So you're, like, permanently in theater school? Uh... That's, I mean, when I was... Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a really elegant way of putting it. Because, uh, yes, God only knows you are always figuring out what works and what doesn't on an excruciatingly constant basis. Uh, right now, I am the busiest I have ever been in what I can laughingly call a career, because it's not like I'm getting paid for much of this. Uh, I am very fortunate to be getting paid for both of the gigs that I am doing right now. Uh, first time I have overlapped two shows, the degree that I am, I am going from tech, which is where you sort out everything in the last two weeks before the show opens. Uh, I'm doing that for two shows, one right after the other in September, which is probably going to be something I may regret for a week after that. <laughs> what, are, what are those two shows uh, so that am, we can advertise for you? Absolutely. I am directing A Few Good Men down at the Lakewood Playhouse, which is just south of Tacoma. Uh, I directed uh, The Woman in Black for them a couple of years ago. Uh, it's the biggest cast I've done. It's, I think, 18 speaking roles. It's amazing. Uh, it's going incredibly well. We open that on September 11th. Uh, and then I go right from that into... <laughs> I'm that sorry, can really I pause weird. for one second? We got, uh, you said it opens on September 11th, yeah. we just got like a single, woo! Yeah, I, yeah, I um, God, I, the, the really dark up, can I use the whole language? Um, it's a PG-13 podcast. PG-13. There will be a bleep that I have to add in yeah. for that. Super, but I'll try to avoid making you do that this more. This is not uh, a David Mamet podcast. The, what if this podcast, though, was recorded on September 10th, 2001? And he's like, we're going to open this play on September 11th. It's going to be huge. We're very excited about it. And this is the podcast people are like, oh, shit. That really went down. That's oh, my God. Yeah. No, the, the, the really... Dark, twisted, grim part of me was like, that's to be the same reaction as if I came out here and started talking about a piece that is part of a bigger show that I'm doing that is about uh, the Holocaust. And someone's just like, yeah! yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Alex, maybe not. 
Christian Maybe Bale. not the high five. Um, uh, so Alex Grindelin, who those of you who listen to the podcast uh, know and love very much, um, he he has this joke that he likes to do where he goes for a high five, and then right before the person high fives, he says something terrible. So it's like you go in for the high five, and it's like Holocaust, boom! You're like you just high five the Holocaust. Why would you do that? And it's it's oh, both awesome and terrible. Yeah, that's great. I'll, I'll have to do that to somebody. Sometime. Well, we lost the baby. Boom. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, yeah, that's got legs. You could, you could rub that. Not plate. anymore. That's the sad part. Oh wow. Wah, wah, wah. Um, the second show I'm doing uh, opens first weekend of October, and it is going to be down in Soto, uh, and it is a Seattle immersive theater show, and brand new script that the company developed. It's called The Listening Glass, and it is a more or less one hour real time interrogation scene and the audience will be brought in as like a faux tour group will be brought into a precinct and then we'll go and stand on the outside of the interrogation chamber while this happens live it's going to be crazy intense uh, that sounds really interesting uh, I have a total non sequitur mm-hmm. uh, where are you from? oh uh yeah, I grew up in New Zealand uh, oh, okay. a very long time ago. I so, detected a slight accent on certain yeah. words, and I was like, either he's it's, has peanut butter in his mouth yeah, or he's it's, Australian. It's also, <laughs> and I was wrong on both I counts. Got a little kiwi from it. I got yeah. a little kiwi. Yeah. From yeah. It, right? uh, yeah, it's also wildly inconsistent for no good reason. It's just been watered down from being here for so long that it kind of comes and goes, which... Uh, Actors, especially, it drives them nuts because they want consistency in a dialect. Like, that's something that they have had to learn. And uh, uh, I have one actor friend in particular who's like, yeah, your accent's coming along, man. It's almost there. I can hear, I can hear it on, like, learn and water. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but what? I was trying to find kinship with you. <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, uh, my, my standard patter on that is everyone knows the Foster's commercials, right? Fosters, uh, Australian for beer. Right. Uh, so <laughs> American for Australian for beer. Yeah. It, that, uh, essentially, yes, because no one in Australia actually drinks it. It's a huge export, but no one there bothers. Uh, law and order. Australian for law and order. <laughs> Uh, you could, you could do that with, that'd be, uh, uh, ABC presents J.J. Abrams' Lost, which is Australian for Lost. Uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoy playing with the dialect, but my standard thing for that is, uh, Australian for Bia is, it's two syllables, it's Bia, and in New Zealand, you still drop the A, but it's only one syllable, so it'd be Kiwi for Bia. Bia. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you guys, I'm uh, learning. I'm going to be, yeah. uh, you know how like, uh, you know, all of the leading men in America are secretly foreigners and then you don't know until like they go on like Jay Leno and you're like, yeah. ooh, Hugh Laurie's British? What the F? Uh, I'm, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like the opposite. I'm going to go over to I like, I just want to say that was my like, best edit yet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had it so it just sounded like you said F. Just naturally. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go over to like Australia. I'm going to be like, yeah, get me a beer. Excellent. And they're going to be like, man, she's such a kiwi. And I'm going to be like, yeah. <laughs> and they're going to go over on the Jay Leno show in Australia. And they're going to be like, oh my God, she's American. That's just what's happening. I played a lot of Borderlands prequel, pre-sequel. <laughs> Borderlands pre-sequel. Um, 2K, 2K Australia. I, uh, uh, I do that when I go to other English-speaking countries. Uh, I will 
put on the local accent because otherwise you walk into a place and you say, hey, can I have a beer? And the first time you speak, they just look at you and they kind of do that head tilt dog thing and you can see them going, huh, he sounds funny. And, like, they don't actually comprehend what you say at all. Like, it just bounces off of their brain. Um, so you always have to constantly repeat yourself. So instead I would walk in and I would say, like, can I have a beer, please? And then they just don't notice. It's much simpler. I, I like I, your I accent so. of when people are say, "Hey, he sounds funny." <laughs> hey, you sound weird. Uh, that's uh, the that's 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 the. I think we all have that little voice somewhere in the head that is uh, just a little bit more ignorant than the rest of us. Uh, that's what mine sounds oh, it's like. A, it's in there a lot in this one. Right. This noggin's got a lot of dumb stuff. In <laughs> Some, I I don't think dumb is the same thing as ignorant, but yeah. yeah it's, it's both, they're both in there. Okay. They split hemispheres. <laughs> Dumb and ignorant. Those are the only two hemispheres. Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen Inside Out yet. I really want to, but, but I am now picturing the entirety of the inside of your head like a wrestling ring with these two. Uh, 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 shoot, I, I, uh, uh, what are the Mexican wrestlers? Uh, Lucha Libra. Thank you. Uh, two luchadors who are... <laughs> thank you. Wait, what two. are they called? Luchadors. Two luchadors, one labeled ignorance and one labeled dumb, and one, they're just beating the shit out of each other. One luchador has a Confederate flag on his hat. Would that be ignorant or dumb? Uh, ooh, that, would be, that would be ignorant. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, that would be ignorant. Uh, be ignorant. Dumb's mask wouldn't have any breathing holes. <laughs> Actually, and I think if you're if you're if you're gonna go that far, then I think the uh, Confederate luchador would actually be ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> but like an apostrophe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you lose you lose a syllable in there somewhere. Yeah. You, you know, I have to say already, I'm liking you more, Bo, because your your first metaphor of the night is wrestling. And, uh, <laughs> I, I gotta say, I really love that. Oh, uh, that gives me a spectacular segue, actually. Uh, I am directing, one of the reasons of the next four months of my life are going to be insane is I'm doing four show slash projects, I have five now actually, uh, between now and the end of the year. So the two shows that I've talked about, I'm directing a play at The Pocket, and I am here because Clayton referred many of his, uh, pocket people to you guys. Um, I am working with Aaron Nicole Boyt, who was on here last yes. month, month or two yes. ago. Uh, I am figuring something out for her next transcribe show, which is also September 11th. Woo! Uh, <laughs> we just we're gonna have to keep doing that now, which is terrible. Holiday. Uh, but in December, I am directing a show called Manuscript at the Pocket, and Clayton was just like, "Hey, let me give you an opportunity. What do you want to do that you haven't gotten to do?" And it was this play that I discovered at Elliott Bay and I've been carrying the script around for two years just going like please let me find a place to do this like a like a vagrant um, because it's a really special show and I wanted to feel claustrophobic and I wanted to feel voyeuristic and so a regular theater venue wouldn't quite be right and we will be building I don't know half of a brownstone inside the pocket or at least trying to make it feel like that it's a three person Alfred Hitchcock twist a plot like who's screwing who kind of thing that's uh, three acts no intermission three actors all playing 19 and 20 like it's really uh, cinematic actually and super engaging and uh, there's a wonderful extended metaphor in there about pro wrestling uh, and I send it to my friend who's a huge pro wrestling fan, and he's like, yeah, man, that's bang on. Like, uh, the giant centers where they do uh, WrestleMania, they clear out all the beer cups, and the next day they bring in 
a touring like revival preacher. Like those venues play things the same way as, and he actually talks about wrestling being a form of dance and art and, uh, uh, like really successful commercial soap opera stuff. And, uh, none of it would have occurred to me, but it's just, it helps solidify one of those characters' voices so well that within the first 20 minutes they give this, you know, their pat little mini rant about this is why I love pro wrestling. Um, I think more I was going with the luchadors in particular in his head because I just love that visual. But I uh, love, I'm still thinking of the luchador with no breathing. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a very short match. Yeah, no, you see, like you see the blue slowly creeping down his neck. <laughs> you can tell how much the, the tension is just in her eyes. You know, when they can't breathe, that's where you see it. You'll just see the blood vessels exploding oh. in his eyes. Uh, that is called petechial hemorrhaging. Yes, petechial hemorrhaging. Wow, aren't you? CSI. Uh, That's Australian for CSI. It's Australian for eyes bursting out of your Eyes bursting. That's Australian for the blood vessels popping in your eyes when you die from suffocation. Oh no. Uh, and I know that because I'm both a, uh, a a mystery nerd and have written a couple of mystery books, and that is something that I had to look up at one point where when someone God, that's a great pull though to have in your yeah. just to have in your repertoire, just to have that sometimes to know particular hemorrhaging. No, oh, yeah, that's a great one to pull out. I love it. I, <laughs> when do you pull it out, Derek? Uh, now, apparently. That was, that was a great phrase that I, uh, I can't it. take yeah. back. I would say over family dinner is when I pull it out. Now, Emily, that tends as to be the end result of family dinners. <laughs> Emily's our bartender, so let's see. Do you ever deal with petechial hemorrhaging in people's eyeballs while you're serving them alcohol? You know, I can't say that I've, I've ever run into that. But uh, now if I do, I'll at least know what it's called when I have to call 911. <laughs> um, this, is a, this is something about 911 that you just reminded me of. Uh, so go with me here. It has nothing to do with what we're talking other than that. Um, but uh, I was at a four-way stop when I was in college, and this bicyclist got hit by a car. It was just pretty bad. There's, like, blood and everything. And I called the cops. And so I was talking all about, like, Oh, you know, this guy got hit by a car at the corner of this section, this section, and he's like, he's bleeding horribly, and then, uh, you know, and I was, I was trying to give her, like, you know, things about what was going on. I was like, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's like not breathing appropriately, he's kind of making a gargling sound. And I was like, I think he might have a collapsed lung. And then the woman on the other end was like, yeah, we'll take care of that. Just uh, where is he? And I was just like, whoa. So I don't know. Like, I think if you, like, went, like, had to call 911 and be like, quick, he's petechial hemorrhaging. There'd just be, like, some, like, you know, witch on the other line just being like, I don't need to hear that. Just tell me where he is. And I'll be like, oh, okay. Uh, so I don't know. That's what I thought of. I'll just, I'll just keep it simple. I think he's dead. <laughs> Come quick. He he's, might be dead. He might he's be dead, dead. Just okay. call 911. He's dead. That's it. Sorry. I don't want to ruin the mood, but you guys did hear about the 911 call where the 911 operator yelled at the person on yeah. the other end of the line and then hung up. Oh my god! I did not okay. hear this. Oh my gosh! It's very simple because people under stress they don't operate well all the time. Yeah. Uh, the 911 operator, her, uh, this person's friend got shot. They called 911. They're like, they're not breathing. Uh, they've been shot. And the 911 operator kept asking, like, well, are you still breathing? Are they breathing? And they got upset. And they're like, they're still goddamn breathing. Stop asking me if they're fucking breathing. Yeah. And then they go, 
<laughs> the 911 operator goes, Miss, I don't like your attitude. Yeah. <laughs> you need to stop talking to me like that. In fact, you know what? You can just take care of it on your own. Oh, Click. Oh. Click. And See? the ambulance had already been called, oh, so they were already on their way, and they picked them up. This person didn't live epic. anyways, but like... They, the conversation, the thing, the thing to me is not so much the, the, like that, is the next day when they had to sit down with that 911 operator <laughs> and go, Dean, Dean, we need to talk to you about like your, like your bedside man. Like, last, <laughs> last night things went real haywire. And to, just to listen to that guy go like, no, she was being a bitch. <laughs> I don't give a if your fucking friend oh got God. shot, okay? You don't have to be an asshole to me on the phone. And then they fire that person, and then they get a job in customer service yes. at some other retail place. Where you're like, my mattress is really hard. You can shut the fuck up right now. Like, you can take care of it. Hey, by the way, uh, thank you so much, Derek. I'm going to have plenty of time to play yeah. a little beep sound right throughout right, your story. Put, there. Please put the beeps in there. It makes it fun. It, it really does. That would actually be hilarious. Um, no, that's, that's it will, it will be beeps. <laughs> hey, Daryl, can you do me a favor? Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something, keep it in like a bunch of unnecessary beeps. <laughs> I will add yeah, unnecessary bleeps and I will try and see if I can cut out this part where you're asking for this favor. Okay. So that people don't know what Excellent. They just think, oh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen at home who are listening, Keith and Holt just joined us. Yeah. How's it going, stations at um, UW? Go Huskies, Cougars. Uh, huh? Uh, yeah, you can't say it's one or the yeah, other. It's the other man. It's or... I don't care if your friend's yeah. been shot. You call Pizza Hut. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give a good uh, god deep whether they live or die. I, I uh, used to work a customer service rep job, and um, those were the calls that I loved the most, where it's like, sir, uh, you're not, I'm not going to put up with you talking to me that way, if you curse one more time I will hang up, and then they do, and you do it's incredibly satisfying um, I just wasn't aware that that extended to 911 I have a friend who did that job for a while too and, and um, they have really specific training in that kind of repetition stuff to keep that person from going into shock or wigging out yeah. or what have you uh, but that being the end game of like well you know what, fine, never mind, click, click I, I, <laughs> It's because it's not customer service. No, exactly. Right? I've been on that end of the phone where I've been yelling, like, this person's going to die. And they ask you those questions over and over again to keep you on the phone. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I got it. But I, I still got mad. I was sure. like, oh, they're still they're dying. And they're like, well, we get their time. We're just trying to keep you on the phone until the evidence gets there. Because their job is not to be like, well, what was the temperature of the meatballs? Right. Were they 72 or were they 82 degrees? We need to know before we submit this to the man. There's no manager at 911. God's the only manager at that, that point. Oh, oh that's can so you, poetic, you guys. Let's take a deep pause for that. Can, can you imagine that that 911 scenario where, like, you know what? I want to talk to your supervisor. Really? Because your friend got shot? You want to you escalate this? I'm here now. I am the supervisor and the creator of all supervision. I will not be using your services again. <laughs> Howard, hey, can you stay on the line after the call is completed to take a brief survey to help us? In- <laughs> I'm sending a tornado your way as a curse upon your family. Well, so I hope you take all of this stuff and it goes into the next play or um, like mystery or thing that you I, write because I just it, want to be. Actually, part of it. Um, it occurred to me that. 
911 is trained to do things that way because of society in large partly, but also because of that kind of training is inherently lowest common denominator. You have to, it's why USA Today is published for like a sixth grade reading level. Like, view, it has to be all encompassing. For relatively clever, intelligent people who may be, or, or people who are really good in a crisis, uh, that gets obnoxious, but it's for the people who don't, who keep talking because they're not aware that, um, that's what they're doing. The fact that they told you that I am doing this because this is why I'm doing it. Um, I've recently started doing that as a director, being more transparent instead of saying, cause I have a whole bag of tricks, uh, but at the end of figuring something out, I will say, and the reason why we did this to do this was because of this. And, uh, if you don't care, then that's fine. But for the actors who are like, oh, now, you know, like you justifying that or telling me why you did that is for the people who value it, they really value it. You just, you just made me imagine, uh, someone who was not, like they're, they're, they're an actor who has to call 911 and they're not good at expressing themselves, so they just no. do it through poetry, the poetry of acting. And they're like, 911, what is your emergency, please? My paramour has been pierced. <laughs> Buy a bullet. Uh, fired at point blank range at light speed. From a firearm bought from a criminal. Her, her exsanguination proceeds and on. Um, are they breathing? I can tell you the light is slowly leaving their eyes. Yes. I see oh, that's myself reflected in their pupils still. And I see what I've done wrong in life. But I, but yet, I don't know if they realize. Are they breathing? They have regrets. <laughs> are they breathing? She doth yet cling to life. They are, are they breathing? They are filled with regret. But I need to know, are they breathing? They are breathing the breath of those who are about to pass. That's kind of cryptic. I need you to be specific. I are they breathing? <laughs> their breaths are being, they're slow as one who is pontificating. Are they the even breaths or are they short? Being. They have stopped thinking and being, and I, for one, am just left holding them like a wet parchment. So are they are they dead? <laughs> that holds a poem whose letters have been inked, but the Sir, ink I need is you running to be specific. I need you to be specific. Are they I are they going? Or not? I want to read this. Are they? You know, you don't have to be like all poetic and shit. I just need to know in order to save this person's life. The spheres are closing. You know what? I don't have to deal with this bullshit. Click. I I. <laughs> I truly cannot believe... Uh, no, seriously. Uh, that was remarkable. I can't believe how long you were able to keep that going. That was fantastic. That was both beautiful and frustrating. Yeah, really terrifying. Now we all know how that ambulance lady feels. But, um, uh, so that actually reminds me of just... Um, just I've done a lot of theater, and there's always that person that's like, I am acting. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, don't know, I just want to hear, uh, you know, you tell us about, um, Bo, you tell us about some of your favorite, like, theater moments sure. of just dealing um, with people like that. Uh, when you talked about someone being able to express themselves, I, I actually have, like, a, a compulsion. I want to work with someone who is terrible and see if I can get something good out of them. Um, 
I'm not masochistic enough to see someone and be like, you're awful, be in my next show. Cause like, I don't want to torpedo my own work that way. Right, right. But, but the, the exercise of, of using the bag of tricks that I have developed over the 10 or so years that I've seriously been directing, uh, like, I would find that fascinating. Like, totally pygmalioning somebody. I, I would love the opportunity <laughs> to try that. Um, something that I talk about when I talk about theater in general, um, Seattle in particular, simply because this is my backyard and I have the most experience of it, when you talk about that kind of actor war, um, I am reminded of a production of Hamlet that I've seen. Um, and the guy playing the king thought he was Patrick Stewart. Uh, and and every everyone else in the show was doing the low-budget American accent, like fairly grounded pseudo present day version of Hamlet and then just every time this dude walked on the stage he was bringing the Royal Shakespeare Company and it was ridiculous uh, like to me one of the director's main jobs is to make sure that everyone on stage is actually in the same show and and most of the time you don't see that like uh, that that is a when I can tell the phone that rings the loudest in the audience it is time to answer thusly <laughs> Uh, and that, that to me is, uh, that's my me, version of Shakespeare. That was outstanding. Uh, that to me is a, a weakness that I see in a lot of theater is that that is a failing, generally speaking, of the director is to make sure that the show is cohesive, that these people are in the same show as these people. And, uh, um, shoot, I'm not gonna remember the title. Uh, John Logan, the guy who wrote a play called Red, um, and Gladiator, of all things, uh, did like a... Like the Russell Crowe movie? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, wrote... I don't know if there's another Gladiator. No American yeah. Gladiators. <laughs> Pyro and Hydro. <laughs> Gyro. And Turbo. 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 Yeah. Oh, Dude, I loved that show. I watched that so much growing up. <laughs> it was we, so were, uh, we were talking about Teenager and Ninja yeah. Turtles out in the lobby before this. Uh, uh, Graham, was it? Yeah, Graham. Graham, Graham was like, okay, let's make up... 20. So we're, there's four, so let's come up with oddest names and come up with a total of 20 Ninja Turtles. Because this is what you do. Uh, apparently it's what improvisers do when they're not on stage. It's which definitely I think is what Graham great. does. Um, so, and it, was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we had uh, 20 artists. There was uh, uh, Dolly, uh, Monet, uh, Picasso. Basquiat. Basquiat. Warhol. Yeah. Uh, Banksy. Yeah. <laughs> do they all like pizza or does like Banksy like sushi? That's a really good question. Um, Dolly wouldn't, certainly. You would be like, hey, what do you want on your pizza? And he'd be like, toothpaste! Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, Warhol, just like, he's like, I like soup. Fish. That's it. That's the only, no, only uh, like, uh, Banksy is just uh, uh, when an orphan girl with a daffodil in the middle of a Walmart on my pizza. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, wait. Uh, so I have a question. Is Banksy the guy who did... Um, the don't laugh at me, but there's this one artist who he likes to draw these like flower people and his whole story behind them and no, Daryl, you'll probably have to bleep all this out, but it's this guy who like masturbated oh. in a field of flowers oh, and then they all came to life. Oh uh, I think no, that's Bank- mythological. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. That was Zeus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, no, Banksy's a, a That was a tweet I put out last week. <laughs> <laughs> Banksy's a Banksy <laughs> Banksy's a British a, tagger. Um, he does graffiti. Twitter. Um, um, they did a 
documentary about him a year or two ago. Banksy through uh, the gift shop. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, so he, is, he is fam- Oh, I know, I know Banksy. Yeah. I used to work at an independent movie theater, and we showed that You know movie. Banksy. I, well, that, I don't know that, him personally, but now I know that. Exit through the gift I shop. I mean, uh, that, that, that documentary is like, it's almost sort of like an Andy Kaufman-esque. Like, right, it's kind of yeah. meta, right? Because yeah. it's Mr. Brainwash, right? Like, Bra- Brainwash has got to be, like, the greatest made-up character of all time. He's like, no, 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 I am a Banksy, but I'm, like, a different Banksy. I, like, do Banksy, but I don't do Banksy. Like, but I like what he does, so I make my own thing. <laughs> and I'm like, f***ing, this has got to be fake. There's no yeah, way it, that Mr. Brainwash can be real. And, and it's stuff like that, because I remember watching uh, Exit, and then after that, watching the uh, the, the, the Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, oh, I'm still oh, here. God. I'm yeah. still here. Yeah, and, and, I, and I watched the, all of it. And With, I would nickname him Flunksy at that point. Just <laughs> <laughs> didn't do it. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix is Flunksy. The guy nobody gives a shit about. Look at me, I'm a fake down, nobody cares. So how, I mean, how do you, how do you feel about thoughts. that kind of stuff? Like, cause for me, I think it's interesting, but certainly in the case of something like I'm still here, I thought it was very apparent. Uh, or the 2016 Republican <laughs> debate. Oh, <God. laughs> Or Donald Trump in general. I was, yeah, I was in college with uh, a guy who enamored, who was enamored of Andy Kaufman, and he told me about. Um, he would come out on stage and he would just start reading. I think Moby Dick. Yeah, or yeah. Um, uh, uh, the Great Gatsby was right. another one. That's what um, he did it. That's and a famous. And I, I get that. I mean, that was alternative, alternative comedy before alternative comedy was a thing. I, I comprehend that. All I could think, and like, he liked that. He thought that was a really neat idea. All I could think about was like, if I'd have paid money to see a comic and he came out and did that, I'd be pissed. His whole, okay, so here was the impetus behind that, by the way. He didn't just come out and do it. He did it at colleges that hired him, uh, because people wanted to see him do Laka. Mm, yeah. They wanted to see, they wanted to see him do Laka Gravis from right. Taxi. Yeah. They did not want to see him do stand-up. So he would come out and start to do his routine, knowing that some people are going to go bananas for Laka. And he would be, all right, we're going to do Latka, so I'm just going to read from The Great Gatsby then. And people would start leaving, and the best part is he had a 78 mm-hmm. of him also reading The Great Gatsby. Yeah. So occasionally people would get mad at him and go, stop, just stop. And he'd be like, okay. And then he would just open up the record player <laughs> and drop the needle on him reading The oh Great Gatsby until there was like two people in the audience. And a lot of times... He wouldn't get all the way through it. If those two people were left and they loved it, then he would just start talking to them and doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. He would do his, he would do characters, but he just hated the so there's a, like, Yeah, there's a, there's you're a, a forced monkey to perform. Sure, and like that, and that I, that I can yeah. comprehend. Uh, I mean, it's incredible, it's incredibly, like, it's incredibly shitty to do Oh yeah, pay there's, a, there's an, yeah. there's an incredibly, uh, uh, an actor informed me that I was aware of the concept but forgot who it came from. There's a really Brechtian thing about annihilating and, and alienating your audience in that way until, like, okay, those two people, they get it. So, like, you guys, I can, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. With. Like, I agree to a certain point where he was an artist, not necessarily a comic. He hated being called a stand-up comic. Uh, that's so. a really good distinction because people paid and expected him to show up and do comedy, but yeah. he... Probably didn't think of it. The college was always like, comedian Andy Kaufman. Because right. credits are dumb and people get those mixed up. They're like, this guy makes people laugh, so he's a comedian. You know, uh, Brother Theodore made people laugh, but he wasn't a comedian. He was just a guy who was like, 
an old, tiny survivor of the Holocaust who would show up on stage, lit from underneath, and go, Life is made of tentacles! And do an hour of just the most horrific Lovecraftian <laughs> shit about being a survivor. Good he, lord! Oh, but he was brilliant. <laughs> but people would laugh because it's so dark, and they were like, he's funny. And then yeah. he'd go to a college, and people are like, we can't. We don't, I thought it was going to be funny. There's a tiny Jewish man on stage wow. who looks like an Apple doll, and he is scaring the shit out of us. Wait, he looks like a what doll? Oh, God. Okay. I'll make this very quick. They used to have Apple. There used to be a thing called the Vincent Price Apple Doll Maker, and you could take apples and put it in the thing. You carved your face on it, and it would dry the apple out. Dehydrated the crap out of it. Oh, I see the grandma, grandma fruit. Grandma fruit. Yep. Yeah. Grandma fruit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Thank you, Vincent Price. He meant that thing. Had that I've, I've, uh, I was aware of the thing. I didn't think about it being uh, Vincent Price. So, like, his face was on the box. Like, he, that's so bizarre. That's the only reason I remember because I that's had it. Because I was like, it's Vincent Price. I want that yeah. toy. And they're like, it's not a toy. It's a nightmare factory. <laughs> you're ruining fruit. You're yeah. literally taking fruit. You're going to put a, put a row of these on the shelf yeah. above your bed and have nightmares for the rest of your when I was a kid, I just had creepy crawlers. You mean night crawlers? Creepy crawlers. You store them, you roll them, you bowl the pool, yellow blood. You put them in a mold. You put them in a mold, and they came out like a gelatinous candy, and you could eat the candy. The first one I had weren't candy, and I and I when I finally got one, I didn't know it wasn't the candy one. That's a mistake you live with. So you were essentially making like fishing lures then. Yeah, that you were. Duped into thinking we're edible. Now the thing, there's, it's funny because I actually ate a fishing lure because I thought it looked good. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> these are things you do. How old are you? They are, they are designed to look very visually appealing. Yeah, so it's sure. Like, it's like those little, the, the neon green one with the squigglies. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It does this. Um, but yeah, and then, and then it had the, the I, I thought it was kind of like the, 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 the disgusting easy bake oven. Yes. And, and the one where it did make things that you could eat that it was, you know, Kind of jello. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was. <laughs> I remember. I, I can see the branding got confusing. That would be a difficult. <laughs> That's why we don't have those toys anymore. There's a lot of dead kids. There's a lot of. I got, I got, I got two words for you, man. Lawn darts. And, um, hey, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a 20 pound spike and we're gonna allow people to throw it in the air. Now, the opposing team should stand underneath the circle. There will be two giant circles that look like hula hoops, but they're not for spinning on your hips. They're for landing darts and that are 20 pounds each with a giant explosive spike. Look, the amount of childhood injuries will not be equivalent to the amount of fun families will have at the wake when they remember that child. What, what did the 911 call sound like? You know what? What's more? What, what do you remember more? That child or losing a child. And that's what we're doing here. You'll remember a child you lost more than a child who went to um, college. So. I am, I am both sensing a theme, uh, in, in, in your evening. I did, did something bad happen earlier today? Was there a dead child that you need to talk about? Cause that's like the third or fourth dead kid thing that you That's literally the go-to for the seventies, the yeah. generation I grew up in. Yeah, yeah. That happened a lot. <laughs> okay. They didn't, that um, was the generation where they stopped, they, people started giving us uh, a, a shit about like, right. they, they, were, they like, were like, home, we maybe just, not lead paint? We yeah. probably can't keep killing kids. <laughs> that happened a lot. I lost a lot of kids around me from dumb shit. I like how it was they probably. They choked on yarn. They choked on yarn. We didn't know yarn was poisonous. Or 
lead. Then we asbestos. Yeah, oh, God. That's when we found out asbestos was poison when I was like six. And they're like, we got to tear all the ceilings out of your school. Most of your kids are probably going to die of cancer from when you're like 30. I mean, because we just, we always and hit the ceiling of the broom to, like, get all the hornets out of here. Look at that dust coming yeah. down. Huh? Yeah. Whoops. Catch it on your tongue. Down. It's like a snowflake. <laughs> hey, you kids, make a wish. Yeah. Yeah, do a snow angel, and then we'll have the dumb kid put some of it in his mouth. He's trying to catch it on your tongue. Apparently, my wish oh, when I was nine was to have mesothelioma when I was nine. <laughs> <laughs> so it was either, Good job, you be- did it. because of all that back then, it was either cancer or, like, peanut allergies. <laughs> because of that. And today it's uh, cancer and peanut allergies and celiac disease. Yes. <laughs> Especially in this market. progressed so much. I know two kids. I, I grew up with two kids that shot themselves in the eye with a BB gun. Yeah. They literally are missing an eye because of a BB gun. And now yeah. they have peanut allergies. Yeah. <laughs> now they're, now they're I, dead. Yeah, I, was in, I was in grade school with a guy who would be like, here, put your finger like more or less where your funny bone is. And he would move his arm like this. And you could feel the BB that was stuck in his elbow. Oh, yes. That it just that wasn't worth awful. it for the doctors to fish it out. <laughs> and, and see, that's the beautiful thing is the the... The antithesis of all this was a game called lawn darts. <laughs> That's literally like that was the thing. That's a metaphor for that entire generation where they were like, "That we don't understand why we keep losing children." We had a game where you just shot a dart with a twenty-pound weight on the end up in the air into people's noggins, and that was a game we played. Like I understand, I, I had lawn darts, darts growing up. I was right there with you. It's just like. I remember we had them, and then you start hearing all the news reports of like everybody in there. And, and, and it's really unsafe. On a different scale, that thing still happens all the time where a, a slogan comes out or a product logo comes out, and you go like, cheap flick. Through the whole process of marketing this and patenting this and whatever, no one thought like maybe this isn't the best idea. It's the it's the Jurassic Park thing. We were so excited to do it, we didn't stop and think about whether we should or not. Are you saying you can clone darts? No, but the, uh, you know, clones would be good dart fodder. Like just crank out a couple of people, and they're d- disposable, right? I mean, so it becomes clone darts. <laughs> there have to be a certain amount of disposable children to make sure that the Battlestar Galactica Cylon ship that shot tiny, swallowable darts into your mouth was a dangerous toy. We lost so many kids during the Cylon epidemic of 1982. <laughs> the Cylon epidemic. They pulled those. They, every toy used to have a little projectile that would shoot right into your mouth. You oh, yeah. Shoot it and, right into your mouth. and then a few years later, all those projectile toys got changed so that the projectile stayed on the thing and didn't come yeah. all the way out. It would only, like, shoot a Boo. little bit out. Yeah, exactly. All right, all right so, so, Bo, you and I are going to we're gonna do something. So you talk about your, your director's bag of tricks. All right, let's sure. assume that it's, it's 2017. It's a couple years in the future. Okay. You've taken all of the wonderful things that you've heard here. You've turned it into a play. And it starts out, uh, it's a period piece in the 1970s. It starts <laughs> out, <laughs> it's a funeral. Mm-hmm. And Derek, he's he's uh, he's the main kid. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, he's going to be playing a 12-year-old. Because if you shave off the face and take the glasses, he really does look like a little boy. I got like a boyish face. You do. It's so sweet. Like so, uh... <laughs> 
All right, so it's, it's, it's 1974. Okay. The height of the lawn dart era. <laughs> the scene opens up at a funeral home, and Derek has to give the eulogy for his best friend. But, but actor Derek is having a hard time, like, really finding his, his, his moment. So, like, use one of your actor tricks to okay. get him to make this um, moment happen. Jakeena, who, who am I? Uh, you're just the black guy in the corner. Cool. <laughs> it's 1974. I can do it, right? Yeah, it's 1974. You have an afro. Yeah. Sup. Uh, sup's not a thing yet. It's 1974. Oh, shoot. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, what it is. Keep maybe. on trucking. Uh, Emily, Emily, you are, um, his childhood sweetheart. Aww. Like, at the end of this play, you Mine? guys are gonna get married. Nice. But in the meantime, we've opened up on a funeral. Okay. Derek uh, steps up to the podium. Uh, that's a great challenge. My question is, do you want me to take it seriously? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want you to do what you feel is right. Okay. I love that the um, way that came out. Do you want me to take it seriously? <laughs> I'm going to start with the eulogy, and I just want you to tell me what I need to do. Um, okay. Here we go. So scene number one, uh, I am at the funeral home. I'm giving the eulogy my friend. Uh, how old am I? How old am I? You're 12, and uh, perfect, your friend's perfect. name was Jim. Jim. And um, your name is Frankie. My... Well, you start with a context, generally speaking, but like, uh, my pat answer for this is, as a director, I have to find the key for any given actor. And when I am lucky and find someone that I generally will want to work with often, uh, I say that I have a skeleton key. Um, that like, we develop a communication where I can just give them minimal notes and they're on the same page as me and it's easy. Um, this process starts with, okay, so, uh, and this is a specific example that I use with an actor. Like, you know, when you're stuck in traffic and this is driving you crazy and whatever, and you look at the actor in blank face. Okay, that didn't work. Um, you know, X, Y, Z, this thing. Nope. Okay. Uh, you know, when you're 13 and you're so in love, you could die. Light goes on. Now we're on the same page, and that way... I know how to talk to them. Um, sometimes I know about being 13 and so in love I could die. Yeah. Oh, I, I forgot See, to I mention the crucial part. He died during a game of lawn darts. Yeah, I kind of yeah. assumed as much. Um, Did the casting call for me say black guy at funeral? That is actually your That's title. In the, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Just, just wonder, sorry. You know how in the beginning of like a play when you read the cast of characters, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you are just black guy in the corner. <laughs> Literally what I, I mean, I have a lot of parts. Uh, okay. Um, uh, so like there is an actor who's convinced that I'm a genius because I didn't have to do that getting on the same page thing. I just looked at him and I knew that at some point in his like school years, he would have had this kind of given experience. And I just took that and jumped with it. And I think he thought I was psychic. Um, so the method version of that is like getting you to a place where you are reliving genuine grief that you have experienced. Uh, some actors go about it the other way. Like I knew a girl who could make herself cry by making her lip quiver. Um, it's the same way as like you can gag enough to make yourself vomit. Uh, like I can do that. The the body the body can come around the other way. Yeah. Like you can make yourself cry by being sad, or you can start feeling sad because you tricked your body into crying. Uh, for something like this, I would generally more put you in that position. because uh, For those at home, I just want to say, Emily is tricking her body into crying right now. <laughs> she is. Well, you've ruined it. I can't. I can't. You were getting ready. You were getting was, ready. 
You made her Your fart. Emily just farted, guys. Oh, she, hey, hey. She was gonna... Emily, Emily, you try to cry and I'll try to vomit, okay? <laughs> this took no. a really bad turn. <laughs> I am... It's going to be a really messy stage. <laughs> I'm the host. I don't have to clean it. <laughs> and so I am going to cry vomit. <laughs> As opposed to vomit cry. Right. And yeah, okay. I this is the only way I can get into character. Uh, I saw wine shoot out of your nose. I literally oh, saw goodness. wine shoot out of your nose. It was caught in the light and it was beautiful. <laughs> that is something I'm gonna use for my character when I talk about my twelve year old friend's death mm-hmm. from a lawn dart. Um so <laughs> I want to use a speech impediment. Really of course you do. Yeah. Uh, so here, here are some. Because I'm new at acting, so I think that's going to separate. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so the, <laughs> I learned from uh, uh, Megan Arn, Megan Arnett, I think, uh, who run, who's does uh, the theater company Live Girls. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, strong but wrong. Uh, like I, I think my character should have a speech impediment. I think I think this preacher should be a raging alcoholic Scotsman. Uh, yeah, that's a really really strong choice that just happens to be terrible idea. Uh, but um, it's a clever trick that an actor told me he does in auditions. Is he comes in and he makes a really strong choice to make them direct him, and they will remember him. And he doesn't intentionally do something bad, but he does something substantial instead of playing it safe. Um, but in this circumstance, I would say you want to give some thought to who your best friend was when you were 12 and what that brother kind of relationship is like and um, before you grow up and become too cynical and how that one person can be a giant chunk of your life. Um, and I would think about the fatality of it. Did he die instantly? Did you watch him die? Uh, did he die somewhere else? Did he bleed out in your arms? Did he go to the hospital and spend three days, like, on the verge before he passed? You know, What like, is a death by lawn dart really like? Explain it to us. Well, I, I imagine there's there's options. That's why I'm asking. It's 20-pound weight to the head. The kid's just dead. If he takes it somewhere else and gets grievous bodily harm, then it's a sad, slow deterioration. So, all right, so we're going we're gonna to pause now. All right. Uh, I'm going to let Derek collect his actorness before. I'm going to do the stage directions okay. for are, his play. Are you an actor? Yes. And then it's yes. going to happen. Ready? Are you guys ready for right. this? this Am is I still a, just staying in the corner right now? Yeah. The cool. CSZ Seattle After Party presents Lawn Darts. Lights up. There is a casket down center. It's very somber. There are white flowers everywhere. Chairs displayed evenly in rows. Everybody is mourning. They're all in black. There's a woman who we later will find out is Selena, age 12, wearing a black veil. Up to the podium steps a small boy with shaky shoulders and big glasses. He turns at the casket, touches it gently, then steps back up to the podium. He tilts the microphone down to see him. And then speaks. Nobody can predict <laughs> when life is going to end. A lot of us think, like to think that we can, but that is wrong. <laughs> life, what is it? It is a long, it is a long series of goods and bads that we do not understand. 
Some of us tend to think that we know what it is, but we do not. <laughs> Until we get to a certain point when we understand what it is, but then at that point it is taken from us sometimes. <laughs> I am talking mainly about my friend Ronnie, who was hit in the head with a lawn dart, which was at high speed, and cracked his skull very hard, and I was not there, but I heard about it. And it was tragic. <laughs> Apparently, he did not die immediately. He died over a series of days, first losing his eyesight. Then, he, a, a lot of blood from his nose and mouth. Consequently, is that white, Dad? Did I write that right? Yes? Consequently... Also, eventually, his brain stopped working, and then he stopped being able to tell people he hurt. And so, I sat in the hospital after having many meals at the cafe downstairs, which were good. (laughs) (laughs) Trying desperately to get him to uh, recognize me, his best friend from elementary school. We grew up together. I have had many speech classes to get rid of my speech impediment, and they did not work. But he, Ronnie was always someone who was like, you can do it, and I was not able to do it yet. Not unlike Ronnie being able to catch a one dot when it cracked his tiny skull. Suddenly a woman about 30 comes up, cradles him in his arms, the two of them walk off. The lights fade down. My man. <laughs> oh, that was oh, okay. Okay, that was, I, that was a great button at the end, man. That was excellent. Thank you. I, I have to. I have to because that was such perfection. I have to call it here. I can't let this. I can't lose this momentum. We can always talk to you again later, but I cannot lose this. That was too good. We've got to end it. So. What we do here is we have a tradition here at uh, the CSE Seattle After Party, which is we have misattributed quotes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to let everybody know about the shows that we have forthcoming, and then you guys can come up with some misattributed quotes. So, all right, so here we go. All right, next weekend we have... August 15th, game designer and our Match Game alumni, Matthew Moore, will be here. We will be playing his game, Bring Your Own Book. And on August 22nd, we have the improv group, Human Propaganda. And then August 29th, we've got players from the Seattle Reigns FC soccer team. And then October 24th, that's far into the future, we've got members of the Go Flight Theater's The Quiz. Now, ladies and gentlemen, back to the panel for our misattributed quotes. Jakiva. The cage of my mind. I live in the cage uh, of my so mind. So my, my misattributed quote is, uh, is tall, ski, ski, motherfucker, all ski, ski, goddamn. <laughs> And uh, I'm going to say that that belongs to uh, William Shakespeare. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, nice. Uh, I believe it was Eleanor Roosevelt who said, you were meant for me and I was meant for you. Aww. Did she quiver her lips so that she could cry after she said that? (laughs) No, she just made herself vomit. (laughs) 
<laughs> she may have been living in a car as a homeless performer at the time, though. Okay, okay. Mr. Sheen. Oh, wait, wait, one more time. Bo, wh- where can we find you? What can we learn about yes. you? Uh, let's see. Um, that's a great question. I am not great that way, actually. <laughs> uh, Seattle Immersive Theater has a website. The show, uh, the interrogation show is called The Listening Glass. You should definitely check that out. That opens in October. A Few Good Men opens in a month. Uh, LakewoodPlayhouse.com. Com, I believe uh, you can get tickets there. That runs for four or five weeks through the fall. Um, you can check out the pocket in the next mm, about a month from now for details on manuscript and a one-off reading that we are doing for a show that my company is developing called. Uh, uh, actually, it doesn't have a title. It's the Veterans Day Project. We're still figuring that out. Uh, uh, are you on the Facebooks or the Twitter? Uh, yes. Uh, my company, my theater company is called Confrontational Theater, and that is a dot .com, uh, and you can find details of upcoming stuff there when we put them up there. There's not going to be anything for another couple of weeks, but that'll have stuff on my projects versus the stuff I'm doing for other people. Um, but yeah, Confrontational Theater is also on Facebook, and that will be all the stuff that I'm doing gets announced on there eventually. Sweet. And uh, Derek, uh, where can people find you, learn stuff about you? And what are you doing? You're a very busy guy, so are you doing anything? I am uh, leaving on tour on the 4th of September, and I'm gone until December. Uh, you can find me at DerekTime.com, which is D-E-R-K, D-E-R-E-K-T-I-M-E. Uh, it's very easy. It's Derek Time. And uh, <laughs> uh, you can find wait, me. you gotta, you got to say, stop. Stop. It's Derek Time. Derek Time. Uh, you can find me on standuprecords.com. My new album comes out December 1st. Uh, it's called Tiny Idiot. Uh, you're the first people who've heard the title of the album. So, oh, that's uh, awesome. Uh, I, uh, is there is there lawn that's dart material on the album? There is it's a, it, there's a lot of dumb stuff on there. Okay. I don't think there's any lawn dart material, but there's stuff equally as is, offensive. Is there, is there dead kid stuff There's on a it. lot of dead kids okay. on there. And, uh, All right, what's your I, Mitch Ashton quote? Yeah, and I will be. I don't know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be at Bumper Shoot this year with our oh, Laugh cool. Riot show. It's me and Santa Claus are hosting a show. Other than that, uh, look me up at uh, Stand Up or on my website. Did you do a quote? Oh, my quote is: um, "My fingers smell funny." Albert Einstein. <laughs> that yeah, sounds like that something that's, he said. That's a good that one. Very good. motivational. Or I am become death. Smell my fingers. <laughs> Edmund Teller. Edward Teller. Edward Teller did that one. All right, Emily. What is your misattributed quote? Uh, it comes from Paul Revere. Uh, I believe it was his his mantra to hype himself up for his for his fame's ride. It was uh let's see if I can get this right. If you're horny, let's do it. Ride it, my pony. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was wonderfully cohesive. Like you put thought into that. That was great. Um, I have mine. I couldn't remember exactly, uh, but when he saw the breadth of his domain, he wept, for there were no more worlds to conquer. And that was from the movie Wally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those Pixar guys write a good line occasionally. Yeah, they <laughs> they're so prescient. <laughs> And last but not least, Dale Ducharme, what is your misattributed quote? Um, mine was, I didn't ask anyone to make me a poster boy because poster boys always end up on dartboards. And that's the inventor of lawn darts. <laughs> <laughs> nice! Who, uh, yeah. and, and little known fact, the inventor, 
The inventor of lawn darts is actually Earl Bradley, who is Milton Bradley's bastard half brother. <laughs> who we are all here today to say goodbye to because it is a tragedy that he was killed by the very thing he loved the most. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to the CSB Seattle After Party.